Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. And from the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast informs, educates, and illuminates the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Charlotte. For our uh, two renowned guests today, we're joined by Richard Williams, head of history of art and professor of contemporary visual cultures at the University of Edinburgh in the UK, and Peter Di Maria, architect and principal of Di Maria Design. Peter has dedicated his last two decades to designing environments that enable people to fulfill their maximum potential. For more information, you can visit the two websites of eca.edu dot ac dot uk prof richard williams and dmariadesign.com after all this hello richard and peter we're honored and really truly excited to have both of you on the modern architect today well thank you and and uh, honored to be here honored to be here thanks for the invitation thank you richard yeah. peter happy to here, have, love love having you here as well can you share with us you know your experience we like to start off with some early inspirations for what you do but in this case can you share with us since you've gone from the uk to uh, brazil recently any funny story or incidents or occurrence that you may have experienced that uh, looking back is kind of a uh, humorous uh, well, <laughs> that's that's putting me on the spot. I mean, I would say, I mean, the first thing is is I've met some extraordinary people doing this, and and I, I'm in Brazil right now, and and what, one of the first things that happened to me when when I um, uh, when I what, what the first time I came to Brazil I, was I, I met Oscar Niemeyer, the great Brazilian modernist architect who who built um, so much of. Brasilia and so many public buildings in in the country, and he he was absolutely extraordinary. He he was about, I mean, I don't know, nearly a hundred years old when I met him, and he, he was incredibly small as well. It was like uh, he was like a pocket person, <laughs> and he uh, smoked these cheroots uh, incessantly and told all sorts of funny stories. I mean, that that was that, that was a real experience. So, like my. Um, my interest in Brazil partly came came from just wanting to see his stuff. But I've looked at all sorts of things all, all over 
all over the world but I, I'm, I'm just I'm just here in Sao Paulo for this this week um, just reactivating some of that some of that stuff excellent and Peter some of your travels we've just talked before we got on air about your travels and some of your experiences other than the, the humorous story you have is it is there always a, a, a sense of lightness that you have to have when you go into it just to get on each plane well gosh I think so I, I, I think what you know it's funny when you ask that question I started thinking what, what what's happened and I, I can share a real quick one with you guys yes. I assume everyone knows who John Lautner was, right? The, the architect oh. here in L.A. Mm -hmm. And, you know, John Lautner, was, was, he worked with Frank Lloyd Wright. And I remember seeing him for a lecture, oh gosh, back in the mid-'80s, when CyArk was still in this first building over in Santa Monica, and the roof was leaking, and, you know, the, it was just basically this warehouse. And John Lautner was giving the presentation, and he's this older gentleman, and uh, they couldn't get the microphone to work properly, and he's got the microphone, and he's standing there, and sure enough, he drops a glass of water, and he lets out this, you know, profanity-laced <laughs> sentence that uh, had the, <laughs> broke the ice for the entire crowd there. And, and then he went on about <laughs> talking about how he had never, ever drawn a damn uh, facade in his life. Oh. And, and this guy really took me by surprise. And I was like, wow. Okay, and this, this is when it kind of was, a, I guess, a reaction to the whole postmodern world that was taking place in architecture at that time. And... Uh, and God, what personality, you know, and that was like the first lecture I think I attended in Los Angeles. And I just never forgotten it. And this guy was salt of the earth and, and just let it fly, you know, and uh, I can't mimic him too often. You know, I'd probably get me in trouble, but but it was a good one, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. He was a little but I hope you I'm sorry? So I'm just, just going to... But, but I mean, you know, Lautner, uh, when did he die? It was some some time ago, but there were all sorts of stories about him. He, he, he was always he very upset. That, yeah, yeah. He, 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 was, he was always very upset that people, that, that Playboy magazine liked his work so much. Wasn't that the, the case? Oh. I mean, I was, always read that. It was play, it was a, the, the big architectural magazines didn't like to cover his stuff, but Playboy seemed to do that. Yes, that's yeah. true. Really? Yes. That's a true. Stunned silence there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, no, these are great stories. Now, we're talking, Richard, about, refer to one of the articles that you had in the Times about the sinister brutality of shipping container architecture. Oh. And I wanted you to, you know, kind of share what your, what brought you to write that story and then uh, a brief take on that and love to have Peter's response as well. Yeah, I mean that that was one of those things that, that came out of nowhere, really. Um, and it was uh, I, I spent a lot of time on on Twitter, and, and I, I just made some offhand remark about shipping containers. And I, you know, I, I have seen a lot of shipping container architecture. And then um, then the, the Times uh, got in touch and said, "Can you say say something more about it?" And um, well, in fact, I you know I realised I although I, I wouldn't want to stop. Anybody building anything. I mean, I think if you if you have the money and you want to build a house out of a shipping container, why not? But it, it would be um, the claims that were being made for shipping container architecture as, as some kind of solution, and and the fact that they were being touted as a, as an ideal solution for emergency housing or a housing. Uh, for, for social housing, I and mean, I saw examples of social housing in, in Amsterdam and other places, and, and there was something 
that, that seemed not quite right to me about it. There was something about this being an interesting experiment for, for hipsters, you know, that actually live in, don't have to live in these places. But what, once you started to advocate containers as, as a solution for poor housing, it, it was, it seemed like architects playing games again. And I, and I, I think there is something troubling about that. I mean, at the same time, since then, there have been various stories about in the UK press about how um, shipping containers have been used in, in very unstable and uncertain social situations and, and how that, you know, that's not been a good solution uh, for, for anybody. And then also there, there is uh, a kind of par- parallel story about housing in, in Los Angeles because that, um, that country that's, that's built, been building these pods which seem to be like like bunk beds in a, in a warehouse and, and renting them for $1,000 a month. And it, and it seems that all of these things are, are really diversions from looking for proper solutions to, to the housing problems. So I, I wanted to make that point that, you know, the, the shipping containers are made for things, not people. <laughs> if you want to build houses, build houses. Don't, don't, don't advocate these things as, as a solution. But, you know, if... if if you wanted to, you know, build a, a private house for yourself out of a bunch of shipping containers, and well, I, I'm not going to stop you, but I think it's when it becomes a, a public problem that, that, that's when I, I think there is a difficulty with it. So, I, so that, that's what the Times piece was about. And I, I also, I mean, as you, um, you know, you, you introduced me as, as an art historian, and that, you know, I, I come from that context, and I, I, I've seen so many exhibitions over the years and you know, cultural events where shipping containers have been used and it, it's uh it's become a very sort of cliched shorthand or um something modern and, and hip and i go i'm a bit i've become a bit cynical about it to be honest. wow and all from <laughs> so an offhand remark <laughs> wow that's yeah pr- that's it was, i mean it was it was it's the power of twitter I, I really would say that it was uh it came all from all from Twitter. The, the I mean, the editor at the Times was actually somebody I, I knew already, so there was, there was a connection. But it was, um, yeah, it's the power of social media for it. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I I personally liked the containers, but that my opinion uh, is we're not about that. We're about uh, you and Peter as our guest. So Peter, be uh, happy to hear your response. Sure. Uh, well, the. The reason I spoke about John Lautner and his profanity-laced introduction, it kind of gave me, I think, a green light to do some of that today, I was hoping. <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> yeah, it's a recorded show. Richard, We're recording, so we can... Yeah. <laughs> Richard, I loved your article. I, I think the article is right, and I follow some of the same, same thoughts that you have on this. I, I, um, I think that what's happening is this what I'll call shipping container type of mindset that, that's emerged in prefab is in its infancy. And I think uh, we're starting to see a few different things. I can tell you that 90, maybe 95% of the container projects that I've seen out there are they're just horrible. I mean, of course, yeah. this, someone writes this article. It's a great observation. I mean, and then I say, yes, I said, they're, they're you know, if you put something in the hands of someone who just doesn't know what they're doing, and it happens very easily with this because they're so accessible yep. that you're going to end up with, with, with these monstrosities. And then mm-hmm. there, but that other 5%, you know, the other 5% I start to look at, there are some folks who are doing, I think, some, some really interesting work with the tribe. But at the same time, mm-hmm. even that interesting work where they may be one-off pieces or one-off 
buildings. This this technology is still in its infancy, and I think I'm hoping the best is yet to come, right? Because uh, yeah. like any other material, it, it goes to a maturation period where we we're trying to figure out what's the most efficient use of this. How how do we uh, get it to comply with codes and all those technical things? So that's just one issue. But then yeah. also there's this. There's this human factor, uh, which you touch on. Right? Yeah. Well, wait a minute. This is for people at the end of the day. That, that's what these buildings are all about. So what's going on right now is, I mean, it's like um, I try to look at it almost uh, like the smartphone, the evolution of the smartphone, where folks mm. had these really obnoxious you know, appendages stuck on the side <laughs> of their head 20 years ago that they would call a phone, right? Yeah. And, and, and what, yeah. what is that? They had an antenna that was retractable and all this. Right. But now we've got, it's not even a phone anymore, right? It's, it's, it's evolved into this, this smart device, right? That's elegant and beautiful and made from steel and samurai sword metal and all these other things <laughs> you can talk about with a, with a, with a smartphone, right? And it's become this elegant mm. thing. And, and it's not even considered the phone anymore. So I, I, I wonder if that will be yeah. the, uh, the direction that these box travel in. In other words, out of the box, the way they are, in their crude state, they're, I guess at this point they're, they're proving that, yes, you can stack them up. Yes, you won't die if you're inside of them. Yes, you can insulate them. All these technical things are being satisfied. And once that hurdle is cleared, that world of liability and the architecture kind of um, profession kind of goes, it, it's at bay. And then people say, okay, now let's focus on this. Let's do something, something that is geared towards people. We're, we're no longer fascinated with, oh, yes, we can stack up a kick, uh, shipping container and create a building out of it. Because I think of those 95% yeah. of those people I spoke to you about, that's what they're into. They're just completely fascinated. Yeah, those are, those are, those are some very, very nice uh, thoughts. Like, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to, um, like to believe that. I mean, I wonder. I mean, I, I should say, um, although you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a historian. You know, I deal with <laughs> um, aesthetic things all of the time. I have actually spent quite a lot of time around shipping containers and around. Uh, um, a lot, you know, a long time ago, with, when you know, worked in in um, sort of in import export uh, kind of business, and and uh, you know, so I've been around these things quite a bit, and it's <laughs> they're quite familiar and and. So uh, I don't have the, the romance uh, about them that, that uh, you know, sometimes some pe- people have. And actually, we, re- recently I, I was in a, I spent quite a lot of time in, a, in an area where there were a lot of um, containers just being used for, for storage, you know, per- personal belongings and stuff. I did spend, you know, quite a lot of time taking things in and out of this storage area and, um, you know, thinking about them as, as objects and, and, you know, again, just thinking, this is horrible. <laughs> you know? So I, I don't know. I, you, I had all sorts of um, interesting responses to the article. I mean, so some some of them, you know, you know, some of them positive, you know, so some of them, you know, profoundly uh, critical, as, as you would imagine. But there were also a lot of people saying, you know, I do work with shipping containers and then sending me pictures. And they, they sent me, you know, all sorts of incredibly imaginative stuff. And I, you know, I had to just write back and say, no, this looks fine. <laughs> no, you, you do that. But it's, it's really, it's when people start to make very big claims for them, then, then I, I, I'm like, no, build people houses, you know, <laughs> let's, let's think of, think of modular housing and uh, let's not think of uh, some, uh, some kind of, um, you know, simple off-the-page mm-hmm. solutions are really not. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think what's happening, and, and I, one of the, I guess the restrictive parts of that box, meaning its size 
and you know we're dealing with scale and proportion and, and the impact it has and the quality of space and how we experience uh, you know just being in that space. One of the things that that I, we've inherited with that box is um, this restrictive size, but but that's also part of the beauty of it, right? Because that's how we're able to ship it around. We're able to shuttle these things around mm. the planet on ships, and even our entire uh, roadway system here in the United States is predicated on the size of those boxes, how high a, a bridge underpass is, yeah. and things like that. So yeah. all of that enables it to be moved around, okay? But like you yeah. said, yeah, that's good for moving bananas and sneakers and bicycles <laughs> and things like that. Mm. But but we we have to move into this thing at the end of the day, right? So what what yeah. we've been able to do, and and, and I think this is the, the next generation because we're not content with with so much of what you wrote about in the, in that article. Where you're, you're hitting the nail on the head and say, of course. These are the things that we're going to have to deal with. So uh, rather than complain about it or just keep pounding up some of these you know, horrible mm-hmm. buildings, we, we're actually we, we're modifying the box to the point where yeah. right now our, our company is working with the manufacturers of the boxes, primarily in China, uh-huh. and we're changing the proportion, we're changing the size, we're changing a whole bunch of things, but we're, we're keeping the good stuff. Right? We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So all those things that make it horrendous, okay, we're eliminating that. We have taller boxes. We even have wider boxes. And all these things yeah. work within the parameters of that shipping that, that enabled it to be transported just about anywhere. So I, I think we're – even the Greeks went through Doric, Ionic, Corinthian, Byzantine. You know, they, they all you – know, there, there was a an, an evolution that took place. And, and it just so happens yeah. we're there in the early stages, right? And we, it, like any government and like any, any place, it's really brutal in the beginning. It looks really, really rough. Yeah. But we're trying to, to get it to this next level because some of the work we're doing now, especially in Los Angeles, I mean, we're no longer doing yeah. single-family residential projects. We're doing large multifamily projects, but they don't look anything like, I think it's Container City, which is over in the U.K., where they're kind of glorifying yeah. that box. And, and it's good. I mean, I've not been there, but, you know, I, I've got... I don't want to judge it from the photographs, but I'm not, you know, I'm not thrilled about it. You know, from what I see, I and mean, I would love to be able to see it and be there and experience it. But it looks like what you would expect from a, a shipping container, first-time yeah. type of building design. You know, but we're going beyond that. We're pushing. And I always go back to that phone example, and uh, it, it's not the primary focus of the building. In other words, we, we, we can celebrate a brick, right? We can put up a big building and then <clears throat> celebrate that brick, but we can also think about how are people going to use that building. So I start to see this more yeah. as a building block as opposed to the focus of, uh, the, focus of the building itself. So, yeah. I mean, you're certainly right about the, it being a, a young technology, and, you know, that, that's one of the, the fascinating things about it, I suppose, is, is that it, it, it's, developed so quickly and become so influential and it's had such a you know, incredible impact on the way that, that, that things are moved around and, and storage and distribution and, and global trade is really so dependent on these, these things and it, it, you know, it's a really fascinating technology and you know architects quite right to get fascinated by it, it, it just is. So, um, yeah, I mean it's, it's no surprise in a way that, that uh, there should be some Attraction to it, yeah. I, I think it's um, there's there's a, there's a tendency in architecture, which you know, we, I think we all recognise that. You know, sometimes there are there are solutions that that are proposed for other people, and I, I think they detected some of this in the 
flipping entertaining argument, but that sometimes architects say, you know, have, have an idea which is, you know, nice idea, uh, but it, you know, it's for somebody else, and it's already for them to dip <laughs> in. It's a solution that then imposed elsewhere. We, we've seen that, you know, in all sorts of circumstances. Like, I did wonder, you know, if the, this was another, it was another case of that. Now, what, um, what, I'm sorry, Richard. So, yeah, but I, mean, I think the, the the technology itself, yeah, yeah it is, it's interesting. I, mean, I, I think that anything that, that's modular and flexible and capable of, of, uh, sort of modal shifts and all of that, you know, it's bound to be interesting in, a, in an architectural context. How about the cities themselves and their outreach to, to look at the containers as a prospective solution or, or one of many solutions in regards to housing? What, what's... Mm. Uh, which both of your feelings and thoughts and experiences on that? Hmm. I don't know who wants to go first. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let Peter go first, I think. So, Tom, are you referencing give me the actual visuals of the container? Or I, I, the, everything, the visual, the, the, the actually using a community, of utilizing the containers as a prospective community for the inhabitants of a city. You know, what, what's, I, I know it's increasing. Again, I'm of the opinion that it, it can look very, very nice. And in fact, better than a lot, most on-site, and I mean that most on-site, multi-housing of the last half century. Mm-hmm. Well, Tom, I, I, if, we, um, if you look at it this way, we're, we're painters, right? And we all have the same paint. We have the same canvas. We have the same brushes. But how you arrange the paint on the canvas makes all the difference, right? And when you give the container to somebody like the firm Low Tech out of New York, right, you're going to get a much different result than uh, the guy who's doing that, you know, little house in Arkansas, okay? And, and, and I think that if you take the highest level of design, what I'll call capital A architecture, and apply those principles and everything to the containers, yes, you're going to end up with, I think, um, Sure, you can create a community, whether it's single-family homes, whether it's multi-family projects. Um, I, I think you can do it. You can, and because at a certain point, it's more about the space that you're creating. If the focus is just on the container, then I think you're doomed. Right? Because sure. uh, the, the container is fascinating for about an hour, right? And after you've figured it all out, okay, then you sit back and go, oh, okay, well, now I need to sit here and I have to have lunch and I have to be in the shade and you know, what is this place facilitating or is it just this monster that you look at and, and eventually you get tired of it? So I, I think that um, if it is not the focus, I mean, I think people become enamored with it, you know, and fascinated by it and say, ah, oh, it's a container-based project. And, and then they get there and go, you know what, um, the container's okay, but th- this place is really cool, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what, that's sort of what takes over on these projects that we're working on. And that, that's what we want to hear because we're really not creating the container. It's a building block. So I think, uh, I don't think this is going to go away in terms of people being fascinated by it. Okay. We've been doing it for, I think, 2004. Okay. I have people come up to me on a weekly basis about this revolutionary thing that I just came up with last week. And I'm like, wait a minute, because they're still being introduced to it. And that's part of, um, I guess that's part of the growing process. You know, we have to deal with all that. But I think, Tom, if, if you get the best of the best working with those, those containers as part of their palette, I, I think you're going to end up with some really beautiful buildings. I think it, uh, and some beautiful environments. I, I think that if you put it in the hands of the right people, you, you can do the right thing. Unfortunately, what happens though is these containers are viewed as, hey, this is a really inexpensive way to build something. 
So mm-hmm. why don't we use this, right? And that's a person who wants to do everything on the cheap, right? Uh, barely hires an architect if they do it all. And then they put together their sketch and said, it's just like Legos. We can stack them up. And, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're introduced to an engineer. And the engineer says, yeah, we can make that work. And they've made this building, right? And they're all fascinated by these, these backed up these containers. And, and this was a great accomplishment. Is it a comp- an accomplishment? Yes. But is it architecture? Probably not. You know, it's like uh, me singing in the shower versus some great professional singer really singing. You know what I mean? There's both kind of music, but one is really bad and the other one's really good. So I think over time, one of the things that we're attempting is to get the box itself accepted as a viable building block with the building code in the United States. So that, you know, the most talented architect can just pick this thing up and say, okay, this is how we use it much the way they use any other building component uh, to, to create a building. Um, so uh, I think the best is, is yet to come on this. So kind of nice if you're thinking about it being, you know, housing, in, 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 whether it's in suburban or urban setting, I think acclimate, but it's also about how, how people, you know, how they treat it. I mean, we have glass buildings in L.A., and, and some of them are horrendous, you know, and others are just pristine and beautiful. I mean, these are the architects such great care in, 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 in how they put these things together. So I, I think the container eventually will be seen as just another kind of building block or component that is, um, that's been you know, brought upon us. And, and I think because it's been in plain sight for so long, but no one was able to execute with it, it makes it that much more fascinating for folks and, they, and, and that much more tangible and then they just kind of grab onto it as opposed to some other material that someone you know like a ceramic tile you know someone goes, okay how exciting how excited could i get about a ceramic tile you know oh but this is a new ceramic tile and you go okay uh, i think they're both running the same path but the sheer size the scale and the readaptation of that that module into something else is what fascinates people so does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. This is a superb conversation. We're going to do a station uh, ID. This is the Modern Architect at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Well, I was going to tell you about the Cheetah Conservation Fund. This conversation is so interesting, I'm going to make my own comments here. So let's see. I'm now scoring this debate. So, Peter, you get a point for making <laughs> some of your points just now. And Richard, I want to ask you, um, what do you think Charles Rennie McIntosh would have thought of the container? Well, what would he have done with the container? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what would he have done? I, I don't know, really. Um, I mean, I, I think you're also assuming that I, I, I have something to say about Charles Rennie McIntosh. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think he, no, I mean, his, his, his stuff was, I mean, was, um, it's still really... Uh, sort of singular and, and hand-drawn. I mean, it wasn't... I mean, it was almost anti... It was the antithesis of modular, wasn't it? I mean, that, it seems to me. I mean, obviously, there are, there are elements that, that run across some of the different buildings, but, I mean, in, in general, uh, everything about his stuff was, was about a bespoke solution for a very particular site, and, yeah, anti-modular. I couldn't think of a less modular architect. I mean, somebody will probably call you up later and say, you know, <laughs> actually, <laughs> give you reasons for why he was. But no, I don't think so. I mean, and I think that, you know, what, you know, one part of the evidence for that with, with Macintosh would be the, the fact that there was so little of, of his stuff actually built. I mean, I, I think that, that, uh, his, um, you know, his, his output was, was very little. I mean, obviously there are all kinds of reasons for that, but, but one of them was certainly, 
the, the bespoke nature of the building. So I know he, he was definitely not, not modular. I mean, I, I'm definitely interested in, in modularity as a question. And I, and I you know, in, in, in general, I'm, I'm very much in favor of modular type solutions and industrial solutions to architectural problems. So that, you know, what a lot of the, the things I've written about have been you know, about the industrialization of architecture and design. I'm just uh, in, in the middle of a book project on, on um, Wayne Bannon, the, the uh, English architectural critic and historian who ended up in the States um, the last 20 years of his life, wrote, wrote a, an amazing book about Los Angeles. And his, his work was, was so much about modularity and, and the industrialization of objects and getting away from... from from architecture as uh, something that's produced by great individuals, but something that, that, that's uh, almost an industrial product. I mean, he, he wrote at, at some you know, some length about con- containers, and one of the first people to, to describe the, the new landscapes that were produced by shipping containers. But I think he, he was also interested in comfort. Uh, he, he was very attracted to, to the U.S. in the 60s and, and started going and writing about um, California, but very attracted by the, the um, ability of uh, American technology and culture to, to produce comfortable environments. And he, he wrote a lot about air conditioning, he wrote a lot about you know, other forms of technology. And I think he, he would have, if, he, if he'd written more about shipping containers, I, I think he, he would have, uh, we would have been on the same side. He would have said, you know, these are fine for things, but not for people. <laughs> yes. Um, so that I've, I've come, come away from Macintosh a little bit, but I think, yeah, Mac, Macintosh obviously been in the news quite a bit the last uh, couple of years because so, so much of his work has now been lost. But yeah, I would say Macintosh is the, the opposite of, of the shipping container, the, 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 the anti-modular architect. Yeah, but still deep, deep craftsmanship in a way. So now yeah. I want to I want to insert for the listeners here. This is my PSA. You know, the, I'm going to give you a little historical context for the audience. The first truly successful container shipping company dates to April 26th of 1956, when American uh-huh. trucking entrepreneur McLean put 58 trailer vans and later called containers aboard a, a tanker ship, the SS Ideal X, and sailed them from Newark to New Jersey to Houston. Texas. Now, that same year, I happen to know that there was a company founded called ATCO, A-T-C-O, which stands for the Alberta Mm. Trailer Company, and they were taking trailers uh, or containers, and they were building base camps for oil rigs in the Alberta, uh, well, up near the forest where the Alberta tar sands are now. And that company, Alberta Trailer Company, that's still with that same acronym, ATCO, happens to be the largest, the second largest utility in Canada. So you can evolve out of trailers into something grand. (laughs) There you have it. That's where a trailer can take you. Yeah, well, I I go back to, Peter, you said something I, I like, and I think it's really relevant to this, is the best of the best. If you take the best architects or whatever you qualify or quantify as the best and you provide them virtually any material if they're really gifted and have vision and and care about it can they turn something into something grand mm-hmm. well tom you know I, I i believe it you know wholeheartedly but i think there's something else that's even beyond that because these boxes are they're modular you know however we look at it we want to work 
in a larger scale, this is something we have to deal with. If you want to do a one-off project, we can bring a few boxes in here and cut them to any shape and re-weld them in any way we like. But the reality of you know, working with these boxes and working to their strengths is that you're going to use them in a repetitious manner. So there is a learning curve that, uh, I mean, it's easy to understand. Modularity and, and being able to use uh, modular systems is a very easy to understand, almost mathematical system. But inherent to those systems are details and things that run kind of counter to the way or counter to the intuition of a standard architect. And this is where it gets a, it gets a little bit a bit confusing because in, in general, in the States, architects are accustomed to solving whatever the problem is and not being restricted by, I guess, by budgets. But in general, they're never restricted by, by the size of things. We can always get a larger beam or a taller column or whatever it might be to create things. But when you're dealing with a standard module, and if you deviate from that module and it has impact across the board in terms of budget and size and the foundations, it basically you're, you're, you're rattling a system. And if you stick strictly to that system, right, you're restricted, okay? But you have to understand the system so that you can break the rules of the system in, in the most effective manner. And I think what will happen is uh, even the best architect out of the gate will have some ideas about how to use that box to create some successful spaces. But once they understand the language or that, that palette, God, I don't know that there's any end in sight. I mean, people do some really creative things. And, uh, and even I, after we did our first project, I said, well, look, this, this is one of our, one of our container-based projects. And next thing you know, I mean, I'm getting emails from people around the world of all these sketches, I'm like, like half of it was crazy, but the other half is like, wow, these people are really thinking about this, right? Uh, and it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I, I know when, when uh, Ms. Van der Rohe and uh, all the, the international-style architects started out, they had this clear vision, all right, or, or that vision was evolving in, in, in a manner that they were kind of tempering. But then you get the, the really bad architect in the States that says, oh, yeah, I just need to use some steel and some glass and some concrete, and we'll have a modern building, not understanding the rules, not understanding what is so incredible about that, that palette there, that whole kind of um, philosophy that they were following. And you end up with this bastardized version of what we call something, I guess, is modern, and it kind of, uh, it kind of implodes, right? And, and, and it's not because they're bad architects. They're just copying God knows what they're doing, but they don't take the time to learn the rules. They don't take the time to, uh, to really understand it. And I think with time, you'll find more and more books on this now, so much more research. I mean, we've got things now through engineering standpoint where it's all accepted by the code. This is going to become, I think, far more accessible to architects people who are really, I think, going to take the next generation of these, uh, these container buildings uh, forward. Because right now there's a lot of do-it-yourselfer stuff. You know, most of these homes I see in the United States, they're built in states where you, you almost don't need an architect or even a building permit. You know, you can just get on out there with your torch and, uh, and do your thing. But I, I think once it gets a bit more formalized and the governing agencies see that, hey, these things are not going to fall down, they're safe, there are actually different sizes now. There's all these other advantages. I think other architects are going to say, "You know what? That's this could actually be a solution. This is this is part of uh, this is part of my palette now." You know, so that, I think it's, it's it's just something that's it's still going. It's still ongoing. You know, so we just kind of kind of work with it, and uh, I get, and I get surprised. You know, but yeah. uh, but it, it's a good question. You know, it's a, it's a really good question. Mm. 
Richard, your thoughts? I, I think I mean, just to, to answer that, I, I would say that yeah, I mean, there's I mean, no question that it's it's a material that can be used for for any purpose. I mean, some of those things would be good and, and not. I think my my starting point was was in in the sense the the way that so many of these things are being used, and perhaps in, in a in an, in an architectured way or a slightly you know less less considered way and I, I think the starting point in a way was you know seeing lots of them at the the Edinburgh festival the international festival which is still um Edinburgh's a small place but it's still the, the biggest um art festival in the world and in, in increasingly the last three four or five years there's just been more and more of ship, these shipping detainers arriving and at the same time as, as that there has been you know, it's an increasingly questioning attitude towards the festivals and you know, what, what the future of them is. You know, is it a good thing that suddenly, you know, two million people show up out of nowhere? You know, there, there are a lot of tensions around the festivals, a lot of, um, there's been a lot of debate about what they, what they do and, uh, what the future is, where they should be going. And I, I think so, you know, some of those debates have been animated a bit by the appearance of the shipping containers and the appearance, you know, sudden appearance of this infrastructure in the city. The sense of it being an almost military-style invasion. <laughs> it, it's almost as if, you know, I, I think that, you know, there will be another year of this. I, I, I will imagine this, this this discussion will get ratcheted up a bit. And I, I do wonder if, if the uh, some of the, the festival organization will, will start to think about different modes of setting up their stuff. You know, will they use shipping containers in two years' time? Will they be looking for like a different rhetoric, something that doesn't look quite like Mad Max and the end of the world and you know, all that kind of thing. So you know that that that's a that was a cultural starting point for me. That you know, in a sense that there are. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of agnostic around the festivals, but there's certainly there are quite strong voices that, that find them you know, troubling and you know need to be wanting to control them and whatever. And part of those though, part of the, 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 that conversation has been around what happens to the city during during the. July and August period, and, and part of what happens in the city is that suddenly you know, it's full of these these um, these containers, and, and uh, but you know they're, they're quite it's uh, it changes the landscape quite a bit. We're talking today with Dr. Richard Williams, head of history of art and professor of contemporary visual cultures at the University of Edinburgh in the UK, and Peter De Maria, architect and principal of D. Maria Design. For more information, feel free to visit eca.ed.ac.uk, Prof. Richard Williams, and dmariadesign.com. We're going to digress a bit to uh, something I think we, we, uh, we all of us uh, agree with, is uh, your most recent book, Richard, Sex and Buildings, Modern Architecture and the Sexual Revolution. Share with us what was the inspiration for your book? Certainly not yeah, shipping yeah, containers. Well, long story. <laughs> okay. And I should say, there is another one. There's one just recently out in the U.S. called, which is called Why Cities Look the Way They Do. So why, why Cities Look the Way They Do. It's uh, published by Polity uh, Press, and that came out in, in June. So Sex and Buildings was... Uh, that was a few years ago, and it was a very simple question. It was basically what happened to the discussion around sexuality in architecture at the moment when 
sexual theory was being developed through Freud and psychoanalysts and you know, Freud's disciples and uh, whatever. Huge interest in those questions in the early 20th century. So what, what happens to architecture during that period? Um, the, the answer was not as much as you might like. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a, in a sense, a, a search for, for, um, for things that, that didn't necessarily exist. But it was, it was an interesting exploration. And, and um, yeah, really, you know, it, it, it sparked a lot of, uh, lot of discussion. Yeah. Peter, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, that type of book? Oh, gosh. The, um... <laughs> Well, you'd have to, you'd have to, don't, that's a tough question. <laughs> I, uh, you know, you know, this is a topic I'm not willing, yes, I just picked myself up. The, uh, I've not, uh, I've not read this book, but I think I need to. I, being in Southern California, there's a, um, I don't know, there, there are buildings that, that just come at you, and there's something about them. I, 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 I don't know if I make the connection. With the, um, yeah, I, w- I, I will say actually, I, I will. Yeah, yeah I, I will say that um, Lautner was in there, but so uh, there's quite a, there's a chunk of stuff on on Lautner, and I, I think I mean what, what I that that particular bit was was so I was fascinated just to hear you you mention him earlier on. I, I visited a few of his his houses, but what what was interesting was the way that I mean latterly I think well Playboy magazine got quite interested in. In them and and reviewed them, but but also they they, they ended up being used in in all you know, kinds of porn films and stuff like that, which I, I think he, he wasn't altogether very happy with. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, it was an interesting interesting topic. But uh, uh, you know, that was a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, now, teaching a, a professor, you're both uh, professors at universities. How have your students responded to, uh, you know, your, your written work, Richard in particular, and Peter, to your written work and your actual work? Okay. Um, well, I, I think uh, <laughs> it, it's not a big jump for them. Most of the students are probably 25, 30 years old at the most. And I was teaching graduate school uh, studio at the University of Texas. And these students are, are all over it. This is not a big challenge for them to say, okay, they look at it the way they would look at a, um, a steel stud or glass or uh, composite material. They're, they're not threatened in any way, shape, or form. Right? But older folks who have seen this say, you know, no, you, you don't, you can't use that, uh, that box for a building, right? For, for many different reasons. They're accustomed to seeing things a certain way and it's just a hurdle they need, they need to clear. Uh, but once they do and they start to, Actually, once they get into the box, in other words, experience it, it they kind of lose that preconceived idea of, hey, this is just a metal box for shipping, and it's its actual space, and and there's a sofa that fits in it, and, and cabinets and all that, and, and and believe it or not, the container kind of disappears, and it goes away. So the, these folks, I think, are embracing it now. The, the wild thing is, um, part of our studios, we, we don't just deal with the box as itself, uh, or any material. For example, if we're working in concrete or steel or wood, we're always trying to disrupt how that material has been traditionally used. 
what's a new way to use it, okay? So we have to understand how it's fabricated, how it's all brought together, and then once we understand all those rules, once again, about the material, then it's easy for us to break the rules. Now, with the, with the containers, they're all fascinated by it. Why? Because it's something tangible for them. They can, that they're not talking about designing a building that's 90 stories high. It's typically a single-family home or affordable housing project, two or three stories in height. So it's very, very, it's something that they can access easily in terms of scale. Where it's, and, and so, so it's been received quite nicely. The students have, I mean, they, they ask questions like I could never imagine, uh, you know, because they're, they're still learning about them. And, uh, but, but their questions are usually based in how can I, how can I push the envelope with this box? In other words, they see it as restrictive. They won't come out and tell you this box is too restrictive. But they're, what they're looking for is how do I unleash it? How do I make mm. this thing go beyond that 40-foot-long by 8-foot-wide box? And that, that's inspiring. I mean, that, that happens, it's kind of a synergistic relationship in, in the studio where I, I thrive on that as well. They're not scared of it at all. When we first started talking about all the different things, like from lead-based paint to pesticides in the floor and all these other things, that, you know, and they said, well, these are all problems. Yeah, so why don't we just get rid of them? And I said, exactly, that's what we've done. <laughs> yes. So we eliminate all those things that are the drawback to the container. And now they say, okay, this is a viable building block. They don't see any problem with it at all. They've embraced it. Yeah. Richard, again, how, how about your students in regards specifically to how you taught them about real and imagined cities in the past and in the future? Well, it's, it's a good question, actually. I, I must say, I, I'm very envious of, of um, people like Peter who work in the studio. So <laughs> I wish, I wish, I wish we did more studio work. But I, I'm basically in a, you know, in a lecture room with um, people just just talking about stuff. But we, the the question um, for me is is that my students are, uh, are mainly art history students, so they they come to to us. Um, expecting a you know fairly conventional range of topics to to study and, and what, what I do with them I mean I could equally do it in an architecture department but I, I'm not I, I happen to be in art history but but what what I do with them is is, is show well try to show them that it's a legitimate area of interest and that they you know if you can see something in the world and whatever it is they they can legitimately say something about it or, or begin to say something about it. So the, so the most recent book, uh, Why Cities Look the Way They Do, is based uh, exactly around a, a course that I've taught with art history students for for many years, and it, and it looks at it looks at architecture, but it also looks at things that that um, help form the the built environment that, that are not necessarily architecture. And so uh, there, there are various uh, kinds of informal things that it, it, it looks at, and we also look at. Um, representations of cities in, in film particularly and, and TV and, and art to, to, to an extent. So it, it's, uh, it's quite an eclectic um, course. I've, I've taught it for, for quite a few years. I mean, so people still show up to it. So mm. <laughs> I think it's yeah. still, still just about worth doing. And we get some very imaginative um, work out of it at the end. And, and uh, you know, occasionally we, we, we have architecture students sit in as well, so it's it's complementary to to what happens in, in the architecture school. But yeah, the the main problem, you know, or the the issue that I had right at the beginning is is uh, very, you know very smart art history students uh, thinking, why am I in this course about cities? And there's a long tradition of 
art history looking at cities, but it, it's a it's a tradition that that uh, is often quite narrow when it, when it comes to the kinds of objects that it, it looks at. So it's uh, you know there, there are certain there's a small number of cities which count as you know, acceptable cities to look at, but in fact most of the world art history doesn't have a very good or sophisticated vocabulary to to deal with it. So so my job has partly been to to get these these you know smart visually literate students to to start to take cities seriously in, in, a, in a broad range of um, senses. So we, yeah, we we get we get remarkable work out of them in the end. Superb. Even in the studio, uh, the the containers are really are not the focus. They may be used as a vehicle to convey a lesson. And, and you'll see, and one of the things I try to stress, not only when I mentioned all those materials before, but there are opportunities abound. In other words, there's students in the see Maria, where do you come up with all your ideas, you know? And then, there's no book somewhere that you can go purchase for this stuff. You've just got to be aware. you just got to open your eyes and see what's around you, you know? And, and, and we talk about the container as this thing, as this everyday box that's sitting in every city. I said, but it wasn't until somebody said, well, wait a minute. What if we use this a little differently? Okay, and it's not just the containers. It's everything that you see. There's opportunity in restrictions. There's opportunities in rules. There's opportunity in, gosh, materials that are outside of the architectural industry. It can be applied. And, and very often that's where we find ourselves because while the containers get all the, uh, get all the headlines, we're consistently yeah. exploring other materials that can be readapted in an architectural palette and, and be absolutely incredible types of solutions. Um, so that's the real lesson, because at some point, whether the containers are successful and everyone's using them, or they're not successful and they kind of drift away, the idea of, of sourcing, you know, creatively sourcing other solutions from systems or materials that already exist, but they may not be in an architecture, they may not be in the architectural field, there's a real knack to that. And uh, I, I think, gosh, I think, Tom, you and I spoke about this. I think in the last 20 years, the last 15 years, more materials have been introduced to the marketplace than in the previous 2,000 years yes. because everyone's gone material happy, you know. So there are ways to, to get that container to, you know, to, to resolve itself and, and whether or not it's going to be a good design solution for someone. But also it's a great, uh, a great metaphor and a great case study on, uh, you know, architectural creativity is there anything in history this is a, a, a going to be a simplistic question but just for uh, for simplistic sake is there anything in history or in architecture that is similar to uh, where the containers are where at one point it was just thought of as oh we just use it for uh, you know it was it had a marginal use and now it's actually a major use or to be even more simplistic if you kind of take um and some will disagree and not agree, but if you took like a lobster at one point was a food for prisoners and it was a cheap form of protein. Is there anything that you can recall, Richard or, or, or Peter, that is in similar state where it was at once marginalized, not even thought of or very, very infrequently used and is now uh, a staple? Well, I've got a I've got a small example, maybe uh, that that's probably native to um, to the UK. Back in the 1800s, um, there was a building called the um, the Crystal Palace, right? And the Crystal Palace was this prefabricated cast iron building made out of 
I mean, it's predominantly plate glass, the way you and I would look at it as like a greenhouse today, right? And glass had been around for quite some time until I think it was, I believe the gentleman's name was Paxton. Yeah, Paxton, Joseph Paxton, I think it was. Well, it used to be that 80% of your building was, was masonry or brick or whatever it might be. And fenestration, just the small openings in the wall were your windows. Okay. But here Paxton kind of reversed the whole thing. 80% of it became glass. And the rest of it became, you know, this, uh, this metal frame that held it up. Well, if we thought about the glass in a real limited fashion where you could only use it in small windows, you'd end up with that same thing over and over and over again. But here, I think the introduction, I think this sheet glass was introduced back then. And all of a sudden, said, wait a minute, there's, there's no limit to this. This thing just now grew leaps and bounds, right? And then all of a sudden, you got glass buildings. So I think there's some things about the container that we don't know where it's going, right? But there are likely a few more a few more examples of this that we can point out. Richard, any any that come to mind? I, well, I'm, as you were talking, I, I just let you talk because I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> um, okay. But I I can't think of anything that, that's like a ready-made structure, a ready-made object that's been that's been reworked in quite the same prolific way as the shipping container. I mean, obviously, you can think uh-huh. of things like, you know, occasionally cars and um, airplanes mm-hmm. and stuff have, have been used in, in a sort of limited and one-off way. But it's this sort of prolific reuse of, of, a, of a thing, of a, of a, of a structure. I, I can't quite think of anything like that. I mean, obviously, the, I mean, you're right with the glass as, as a material being re- repurposed and finding a place in architecture. I mean, I'm mean, absolutely uh, right that it, it's the glass is a, it's more like a, it's, got, it's an elemental thing, isn't it? It's, uh, it's not like an existing structure. So there, there is something quite peculiar about the shipping container, actually, it seems to me. You know, it's like a, it's a, it's a very, I mean, it's quite an advanced form as well. You know, it's not a, it's not just like a, like a brick. It's, it's something that's been, and it's a classic piece of design, you know, it's like the, the Volkswagen Beetle or the, you know, <laughs> whatever, something like that. It's an industrial object. You can, we can find materials and materials and technology that we borrow from other mm. industries and how they kind of, uh, they evolve. And that may be what we're seeing, Tom. It's hard because we, we don't know where it's going. Uh, but um, that's a good question. i got to look into that closer. Uh, we're talking today with Richard Williams, head of the History of Art and Professor of Contemporary Visual Cultures at the University of Edinburgh in, uh, in the UK, and Peter D. Maria, architect and principal of D. Maria Design. For more information, feel free to visit eca.ed.ac.uk, Prof. Richard Williams for Richard, and dmariadesign.com for Peter. Richard, carry on as I uh, interrupted you. I don't know whether I have anything, uh, <laughs> anything greatly to add on that, but I, I think it, you know, it's, it's, worth, um, it's worth thinking you know, whether there is another industrial structure that's been used in quite the same way. I kind of, I kind of think there hasn't. I think it is, it is new. I think, I'm sure uh, there is, there, there is a possibility for you know, e- evolution by that 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 five percent of um, architects that, that Peter mentioned at, at the beginning. Um, I think I'm. It'll be interesting to see see where it goes. Whether it becomes a, a, a large scale thing, I, I I don't know. I kind of hope not in a way. Yes, <laughs> uh, perhaps. Uh, 
said in the article. I think I think that's the for, for you know when you're looking at sort of very large scale housing solutions, it, it's best to think of something else. I did have a, one response uh, just thinking about where I am at the moment in, in Brazil and some of the responses to the article. So somebody said, oh, you know, why don't we? Um, you know, you, you just want to rehouse everybody in the, in the favelas in, in uh, on the edge of uh, Rio or Sao Paulo. You know, so why don't you house them in shipping containers? And I, I sort of had my head in my hands for a few minutes after that. But, but basically, uh, if you know the geography in, in, in most of these places, you'll, you'll know that you, you would need a 40-story tower crane to, to actually even begin to do it, you know, less alone whether uh, you would have any, any buy-in from the people who live there. So I... I um, I'm skeptical about that uh, that sort of thing. But the uh, yeah, these these more imaginative solutions in a in a smaller scale, perhaps more synthetic solutions. Yes, there's definitely capacity for evolution. Charlotte, you were going hey, to you know, Tom, there's a couple. I'm sorry, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One from an architectural kind of uh, know, device, I guess we'd call it. If you look at Lou Kahn's the Kimball Art Museum and how he brings natural light. The daylight down into the Kimball uh, through these clear story windows, right? And uh, much of that was mm. derived from the local, like they're almost called cattle barns there in Fort Worth, where they bring light oh, yeah. down into these yeah. really wide buildings. Right? So they, and those those clear story windows on those wood structures are purely utilitarian. I mean, they they actually look kind of cool, but Khan took that concept and refined it and made it something absolutely elegant. And it's in concrete and limestone, right? So beautiful. So that that's really an architectural idea or architectural technique that was kind of goes through an evolution and can be refined and become more wonderful, more beautiful, however more effective. But there's another system called a. Um, and the, the only reason I know this is because I had to detail these things as a young man. I think I was 18 years old, drawing details in an office. There's a thing called a Gabion wall system. That's G A B I O N, and a Gabion wall system is traditionally used as a retaining wall. And it's nothing more than a metal basket, usually about three feet by four feet, or three by four, like a cube. And they fill that metal basket up with stones, with large rocks, and they stack them on top of each other. And the sheer weight of that thing enables it to work as a, like a retaining wall, but it allows no hydrostatic pressure. It doesn't allow hydrostatic pressure to build up because it's not solid like concrete. And so you'll see these things on the side of a freeway sometime, and eventually, I guess the people who install them hope that the vines will grow over them, right? So you don't have to look at these metal baskets with stones inside them. But then you take that system and you take a look at what Herzog and Demiron did on a uh, winery here in California. And they did not use it as a retaining wall. They used it as the actual wall for the winery. And what happens is that because it's not solid uh, like concrete, what you end up with is light piercing to this wall, and um, it, it's actually quite elegant and beautiful. And, and most people who work at a Gabion Mall say, no, I don't want it any near, near where I live. Uh, it's too crude, it's too harsh, it's too industrial. It's not, going to, it's, it's not going to make my quality of life any better. But just about everyone I've, uh, I've spoken with who's been to this winery um, in California has said it's one of the most elegant projects ever and it's a um i believe it, it, it why it was called a dominus d-o-m-i-n-u-s and um, i think i can figure out where it's um it was done back in 19 I think 1995 and it's in napa valley 
And it, it is one of the most beautiful buildings that you know that I've seen here in California. That's a, that's a winery, mm. and, and it's absolutely stunning using that that system that is traditionally used for retaining walls. And uh, so I, I think uh, once again this speaks to you know being in its infancy and. And who knows where the creative folks are going to take it. But if you get a chance to see that winery, gosh, it's um, it's a gem. It's in Napa. Peter, um, is there anything else you would like to say, Richard, that we may not have touched on? Gosh, only that we just went through a uh, public hearing project on uh, one of our uh, affordable housing projects in Los Angeles. And uh, 10,000 people showed up in objection to the project before we got it. When we got there, the entire community came in and said, we love it, we want to move forward on it. Well, there was a reporter there from the L.A. Times, and he said, well, what kind of story are you doing? He said, well, I'm not doing a story at all. And I said, well, why not? He said, because nobody's arguing here. You all get along. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a feel-good feel good story? Never heard of one of those? <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 we're not going to do that. So, Richard, I'm thinking that you and I should be arguing a bit more about something. You know, get I know. Well, no, that's here, what, I... what, we, uh, what, what they wanted us to do. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you know what these, these offer pieces are like. But I, yeah. I think, um, I mean, if we if we were in the studio together, I mean, I, or if I was with somebody who who was going to, you know, seriously pro, propose large the large scale mm-hmm. use of shipping containers for public housing and no i mean I'm, i will stand up against that you know no problem uh, but i think in in the you know the kinds of things that we've been talking about sure i mean this is an interesting mm-hmm. technology you know why why not experiment with it when you know there's no there's no um no reason why not but i, I think it's uh there, there are some of the the, the rhetoric around um around uh, mm-hmm. use of containers from from you know proponents of Low cost mm-hmm. housing. I, I, no, I, I think that that needs that needs to be stopped. <laughs> oh, great. Well, I actually I enjoyed your article. Thank you so much. I'm glad you put it out there and uh, forcing people to really think uh, about this and um, just did nothing but helpful. So thank you, yeah. Richard. Well, thank you. Thank you for getting in touch. And thank you very much, Richard and Peter. It's been an honor and pleasure having both of you as our guests today. Well, thank, thank you for getting thank in touch. You, Tom. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. You've been listening yeah. to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guests today have been Richard Williams, head of the History of Art and Professor of Contemporary Visual Cultures at the University of Edinburgh in the UK, and Peter Di Maria, architect and principal of Di Maria Design. Peter's dedicated the last two decades to designing environments that enable people to fulfill their maximum potential. For more information, feel free to visit both of our guest sites, eca.ed.ac.uk, Prof. Richard Williams, and dmariadesign.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable communities, cities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at KZSU Stanford University Studios in Stanford, California, and on location. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Hyaki. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. And again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? 
Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.